Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're excited to get into Luke chapter 11 this week. But before we do that, Tanner, how was your week? My week's been pretty good. Um, been prepping for family night this Sunday night and a movie night at the church on, uh, well, today, the day of recording, but it'll be a day past when people are hearing this. But it's been a good week. Um, What's your family night? Tell us a little bit about that. So... Um, it was, it spawned from the fact that a lot of our younger families were not regularly attending on Sunday nights. Um, and I felt it would also be very beneficial for the young families in our church to have a time where the worship service was not just like for adults and not just for children, but it was focused around the family and helping the family grow together. Um, so that, that that was kind of the intention. And um, I started at the beginning of the year. It's been pretty good when I've done it. Um, but the last probably three months, I've been really busy and haven't been able to do it. Is it like a once a month kind of thing? or? Yeah, right now it's a once a month thing. But we're picking it back up uh, this Sunday night. So it'll be, it'll be good. How was your week? Uh, it's been good. Uh, writing some sermons, uh, doing class, of course, with at school, uh, delivering some chicken. <laughs> That's about it. Not too much going on this week. You preach Sunday? This Sunday or past Sunday? This Sunday. Yes. Okay. I preach up in, I want to say it's called Millersburg, <laughs> Indiana. It's way up, like, toward Michigan. It's going to be the farthest I've ever traveled to go preach, so... That'll be a haul on the road, but I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good. It's uh, <clears throat> It'll be the last uh, Sunday on my calendar for a while where I'm out preaching. was leaving the schedule a little more open around the holidays because I didn't know what all my family's doing. And So are you waking up at 3 a.m. to go preach? <laughs> no, no <laughs> I'm, <laughs> not a chance. No, I'm going down there Saturday evening and staying with uh, the guy I got, got a hold with. Okay, that's uh, that'll be good. Uh, we want to remind you to mark your calendar. Um, we'll remind you first about Louisville Bible College. There's a module coming up December 1st and 2nd. We are both going to be there. Um, I'm getting more and more excited for it. The other thing is Louisville Bible College, uh, the start of the spring semester or the winter semester, whatever you want to call it, starts uh, January 15th. Then also there is a person-to-person person person leadership seminar on January 11th and 12th. That's just before the start of the LBC start of the semester. And if you want more infor- information on that leadership seminar, look at P2P, the number two, P2PM.org. Uh, that's person to person's website, and they have all of their different events that they are going to be doing throughout the year on there. So you can find more information about them and the leadership seminar. And I, uh, that's going to be done, led by Jeff Fall, uh, which will be really, really good. Um, so we're hopping into Luke chapter eleven this week. Was it 
Did you say in two weeks or next week we'll be at our halfway point? Um, well, there's 24 chapters, so once we finish next week, we'll be halfway through. So getting close to that halfway point through Luke, that's kind of that's kind of that's good. I'm, I'm excited about it because part of the reason we did Luke is I think we said before we wanted to do something that was going to keep us consistent and really get us started. And yeah, we didn't want to do like three episodes of stuff we wanted to talk about and then be like, well, now we don't know what, what to do an episode you. about. And so we just thought, well, let's just go through a Bible book because you'll do lots of episodes before you run out of those. <laughs> yeah, so it's been good, and I'm excited about it. And um, I'm excited that it's kept us consistent. So. For sure. Um, last chapter, we really learned about what is good and what things we should be focusing our lives on, uh, and that is things with eternal significance. So as we hop into this next chapter, kind of keep that in mind. Chapter 11 is 54 verses. And so it's, you know, there's 54 verses, but this chapter, like, has a lot of things in it. <laughs> a lot, a lot, ha- there's a lot of, like, four or five verse sections in this, in this one. So, um, kind of drawing out the key thoughts was a little tougher for me this week. I don't know about for you, but it I still seemed, think it seemed like I was looking at some key thoughts and was like halfway to two thirds of the way through and was like, that, 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 that'll be enough. And, and that just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. So let's hop into this Luke chapter 11. Uh, be sure to read it. Uh, and I say that every week just as a reminder because we want you all to be in the Word yourself for your own sake, but also to to be checking us. And um, right. uh, so make sure you read it and follow along as we go through it. This, we, we kind of alluded to it last week, I think. The, the start of the chapter is what many would call the Lord's Prayer, where he teaches the disciples how to pray. Um, And there's some parallel passages uh, throughout the Gospels. I think in Matthew it's the longest version. Am I right on that? I'd have to look. I'm not sure. I think the longest version of the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew and the longest recorded version. But here we we start off with, okay, the disciples come and they, they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And... It's interesting that the disciples recognized the import, how important prayer was through the fact that Jesus was such a man of prayer. I, would they have asked Jesus to teach them how to pray if he wasn't constantly in prayer? Well, it seems to me that they asked him this... <clears throat> after observing him pray. Yeah. Because, you know, it says right in the beginning of chapter 11, first verse, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So it seems like they observed his prayer life and then were motivated to pray and wanted to learn how to. Uh, And also, I was looking at it, and Matthew chapter 6 is where... Matthew records the Lord's Prayer, and it is a little bit longer there. So you're right. Um, So 
I I heard I read something on this one time about Jesus's prayer life, and the statement was that the way he lived his life, and the way he acted, and the way he was constantly seeking and accomplishing God's will, and and constantly about God's mission, just showed that he was a man of prayer constantly. Um, and the disciples saw that. They realized, okay, this is important, and we should be doing this too. And so they asked Jesus how to pray. Do you think prayer is still something that needs to be taught today? Like, Do you think that's still something that's important? I do, absolutely. I think I don't know that the church teaches a lot on prayer. Maybe you've had a different experience. I know you've been at a different congregation than me in the last five or six years, and I'm not speaking negatively about any congregation I've been a part of, but I don't know that prayer is really something that's taught that much. What have you noticed with that? Um, I've noticed it too. I remember when I went to school, one of the first classes I took was speech for the church, and it was like learning any kind of talk in the church that goes on, whether it's a communion devotion or a prayer or the announcements that you start a service off with. Like it was just yeah. all these things. But one of the things was prayer. And um, I mean, we basically had a, a crash course on the Lord's Prayer and the priorities. And I actually want to share some of those priorities as we get into the Lord's Prayer here. But I people <laughs> there's two there's two things that keep people from praying more often than not. One is they say they don't know how to pray. But I I've made point before the Bible teaches us how to pray. But we should as a church be teaching and helping guiding people to see this this scripture and the the Matthew 6 scripture and examples of prayer so that people can understand okay these are what my priorities not only in life but in prayer should be but then also um I forgot my second point <laughs> but that's okay that happens it happens sometimes oh well, something I was thinking about is you know, we are a part of the restoration movement. Yeah. And we, uh, the restoration movement is aiming to restore Christianity to how it was in the New Testament, both with what we believe and, and how, we, how we practice and live as Christians. And in Acts 2, in verse 42, we read of the f- uh, four things that the early church was devoted to, one of those things being prayer. And I guess... When I look at the church today, not just the congregation I'm a part of, I've been a part of a few different ones with different ministries and internships and whatnot, and have observed a lot of other ones because I know a lot of preachers and ministers. It doesn't really seem like we're devoted to prayer. Um, Prayer, from everything that I've ever really seen a congregation do as, as a whole, is always kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. Like on Sunday morning, you know, we have Sunday school. Uh, you have a, a whole 
a whole chunk of the service dedicated to studying the word, you know, devoted to the apostles teaching or apostles doctrine that kind of fits in there with the Acts 2 passage. We've got song services, chunks of time devoted to that, um, certainly devoted to fellowship. Uh, there's all, churches always have lots of different gatherings uh, for fellowship. But like when you're in a Bible study, normally, whether it's Sunday school or Sunday night, you'll kind of start with prayer and take some prayer requests and pray, and a couple minutes is given to that, and then the whole rest of the of the time slot is Bible study. And I, I, I guess if we're going to be devoted to prayer, it, it, I really wonder why it's always just kind of on the side. Like, there's never a, a devoted chunk of time given to teaching prayer or practicing prayer or anything. It's always just, well, before we get started with our main objective for the night, let's have a couple minutes of prayer requests and we'll pray and then we'll get started. Yeah, and you actually reminded me of my second point because the first one, the second one was that people don't believe in prayer and that's a lot of times why they don't do it. Like they don't think God's actually hearing them. From, yeah, kind of. From a, from a, knowledge standpoint they say that they believe in prayer and they maybe pray every once in a while but from a devoted as you said or commitment to prayer standpoint they really don't show that they believe that prayer actually works um and i i think that's a, a part a big part of it too um but you're absolutely right i we don't spend enough time in prayer as a church. And a lot of times prayer is pawned off as a thing you do by yourself. It is important that we are have a good prayer life, you know, on our own. But and that's how we see Jesus pray on multiple occasions. It says he'll go off on his own or go off to be by himself to pray. So that's certainly part of it. Yeah, but it's also extremely important that that is a part of the function of the church um you know it is interesting that everything we do on a sunday morning or sunday night we always start it with a prayer so like we'll open the service with prayer and then we'll have a prayer after the communion devotion and before we actually take communion and then we'll have a prayer you know sometime during the sermon before the sermon after the sermon and then to close the service but a lot of times, I'm not going to say every time, but a lot of times those prayers are um, rushed. They are kind of have how you were saying. Not that, not that they don't mean anything, but we almost make it insignificant in in comparison to everything else going on. And I think we need to really think about what emphasis we're putting on prayer for sure. And th- thinking back to my lifetime being involved with the church. I, I can think of a, a handful of different times where prayer really was the main emphasis of the gathering. Like, I, can, I can't remember the, the specific mission trip, but I, I remember a time or two where we, our church had sent out a, a mission team somewhere, and you know, for our Sunday night, instead of the normal service, we gathered and just prayed for their mission, for, the, for their safety, for their ministry effectiveness, and things like that. And so we've done that 
and th- there's been times where there's a, a real need. Um, someone in the congregation has had some some tragic accident or something really pressing is going on, and the and the church has gathered to to pray in a time where they normally would be doing Bible study or fellowship or something else. But we were like, man, it, things are tough right now. We really need to just spend a little more time in prayer. So that that's happened. I just don't see it as a as a regular thing that we are devoted to. You know, the the four things that the early church was devoted to was prayer, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, communion, Lord's Supper, and uh, and fellowship. And I think we are we do better at being regular regularly devoted to the breaking of the bread, to communion, to fellowship, and to the apostles' teaching a lot. We do that. We're devoted to those a lot more regularly and a lot better than we are to prayer. Yeah, and I hate to like bring up like the time, like times, like you know, we spend fifteen minutes or twenty minutes singing songs of worship, and mm-hmm. then you know, twenty-five to thirty minutes you know, on a sermon, being in the Word, and you know, ten minutes on communion, but maybe five minutes on prayer. Like you kind of hate to bring that up, but that is very telling where the priorities are. And like I said, I think some of that stems from people not feeling like they don't know how to pray or what their priorities in prayer should be. And then some of it stems from not believing that it, they, like I said, they might like theologically or by knowledge believe that prayer works and is real, but they don't put it into action. Um, I think if you asked the just the average Christian the question, "How is your prayer life?" I don't know. I don't know that I've ever asked a Christian that, and they haven't said something along the lines of "It's a work in progress," or "It needs to be better," or "I have a long ways to go." And it's good to have that mindset, but I think prayer is something a lot of us struggle with, and a lot of us wish we had a little bit better of a handle on. And so it's it's encouraging to know we're not completely left in the dark because uh, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, so it was something that they needed a little more guidance and help with too. Um, so let's look at these priorities then that Jesus shares and, and as something, he prays. Some, something else I was going to ask you about this before you read it is okay. sometimes people will like quote this prayer like word for word because they've memorized it mm-hmm. and... I think it would be worth discussing a little bit if that's why Jesus taught them to pray like this so that we have like a, a prayer that we can just quote and say exactly what Jesus told them to say or if there's maybe some some deeper lessons we can learn from this. So, so go ahead and get into it, but that's something I think we ought to spend a little bit of time on. Well, let's go ahead and address that. Uh, I think that a very valid prayer in something that God likes is when his word is honored. And so for us to pray his word back to him, I think is, is a, a something that would be an important part of prayer. And so to actually use this prayer 
not as a as a, like a traditional or a ceremonial thing because I think it can be that sometimes, but as a a sign of honor towards God. That I mean, that is one way that we can worship Him is is praying His word back to Him. And so, in that sense, I think it is a a valid prayer and important. Um, I don't think it is a thing by any means where we should just quote it for the sake of quoting it and to where it becomes mindless mind mindlessly say it um i think like i a lot of times i think this is something that children are taught um memorize to memorize and i think that's good i think it's good for them to to at least learn a version of this, even it, something, it would probably be better if they were praying something that they understand a little more. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of adults, including me, until a couple years ago that didn't know what hallowed means. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a little, you know, over the, it's it's older English. So, yeah. you know, teaching a little more what that means or teaching it in a way that is similar. But... Uh, Long story short, I th- I think it can be important, but I don't think that's the primary reason for Jesus doing this. He's teaching them how to pray, not what to pray. Like, uh, word for word, what to pray. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're on the same page. I was curious what you thought of that. So, priorities. Uh, let, we'll go ahead and read it. It says, picking up in verse 2, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and let and lead us not into temptation. So, uh, I would just give a little credit to Joe Hatchett, because he was the one that really first taught me these things. But, I mean, he's absolutely right, and it comes right out of out of the Scripture here. But what we notice is Jesus sets first things first. And the, the primary th- person that he's praying to, the, what I would say is the, the, the primary audience is God. And our, at the very core, the basis of, of our lives, our job is to worship and honor God. And so that's where he takes the very beginning of his prayer. That is the, the first focus, and that is <clears throat> he honors, glorifies, and worships God by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. And what, do, what does that really mean? Holy. Holy. So Right? Am I right yeah, on that? Yeah. Okay. So he's acknowledging the how God is separate and above Everything else, he is he is greater, more powerful, uh, knows more. I mean, you can go into the whole list of things, but he is acknowledging how separate God is from us. And Jesus knows this about God, but he still felt it was important to include that in the prayer. I think because it, it kind of, when you acknowledge who you're talking to, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the conversation, the yeah. rest of the prayer. And I think that's an important reason why quoting scripture is is a good option because 
a lot of times when you're quoting scripture, you're acknowledging who you're talking to through the very words that you're saying, his words. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like to do is go to the Psalms. And while I'm in the Psalms, or go to the Psalms, pick out a Psalm that really, uh, a lot of times it's a, a Psalm of David because he glorifies God in many of his Psalms. And I'll, I'll read the Psalm to start my prayer out. Or sometimes that'll just be the the main point of my prayer, and that's all I'll pray. But um, that's a really good option to for glorifying God and acknowledging who He is and His holiness. I think maybe our prayers would be a little bit less like we're just asking for a bunch of things selfishly. If yeah. we started our prayers more with acknowledging who God is, we would remember that he's not a genie in the sky that's just there to grant our wishes, and that prayer is much deeper than that. And I would say that this should be—I would not only say that this should be the—this should be in every prayer, but this should be the primary focus of every prayer. We need to be sure that—because when we're focused on God— that is already going to help us not be so focused on us and the things going on on this earth that don't matter so much. Because honestly, half the things that we pray about probably aren't that big of a deal in the eternal eternal significance uh, standard, I guess, if you want to say it that way. So that's first things first. And it's interesting... You know, we are this podcast based out of John fifteen eight for you uh, visual visual watchers or listeners to the podcast. You see our new flag back here with we had it last week, but anyway, it's based out of John fifteen eight, and you know, it, our goal is to bear fruit and so prove to be Jesus's disciples. Um, that's the point of heavy branches. And we talked really early on and a couple of times we've talked about how, how we bear fruit. What are ways we bear fruit? Well, one of those ways is worshiping God and prayer in prayer. We can worship God and bear fruit in that way. And then the next thing, your kingdom come. This is more, when I read this, this is more pointed than just praying God's will be done. Um, I think it's more specific than that. And it's very much connected to Jesus' mission, which was currently to preach that the kingdom of God is here and to pre- prepare the people for his death that he's getting ready to endure. And... So, I I think there's some confusion. I I just, the prayer, may God's will be done, I think can be good sometimes. But I think we get too, like, it's almost like a throwaway prayer. Like, we just kind of throw it in every prayer, and we don't really think about what we're saying, or we don't really understand what God's will is, and... There are time, there are times where we don't know what God's will is. But we also do know the priority 
of our lives and God's the priority of God's will in our lives. Right. Um, and that is the kingdom mission. God's will for his kingdom is that his kingdom be spread throughout the world via the gospel message. And that's really what I think Jesus is praying about here. Your kingdom come is he's praying about this, this start of the kingdom and, and this, this salvation that's going to come through him. And really the gospel message, it spreads throughout the world in and through us. So, I think a lot of times people pray, may God's will be done, because they don't understand what God's will is, but in in some instances, that's right. We don't always understand what God's will is, but when it comes to the priority of our lives, there should be no confusion about what God's will is. And his will is for us to accept Jesus, put our faith in him, faithfully live through him, and to be um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conduits of the of the gospel message. Well, as we're talking and thinking about this idea of how God's will relates to his kingdom and Jesus praying for his kingdom to come, we're going to learn in the next chapter next week that God's will for us, for, for Christians, um, is going to be to seek his kingdom first. And that's, that's one of my, one of the passages in the gospels that I go back to often and um, was just really just studying some this week. I mentioned I was writing a sermon, not not on that passage, but it's kind of connected to it in a way. And so I was studying that some this week. And God's will for us as we strive to be Jesus' disciple and to bear fruit is to seek his kingdom first. Whether that mean with our time, with our priorities, with our efforts, with our our money with whatever resources we have to to if we're going to pray about the kingdom and we're going to want to do God's will in our life we're going to realize that we need to be seeking his kingdom first and like I said we'll see that more next week so we'll, we'll get into that more a week from now but I think that's important to mention just I mean this whole podcast is about trying to be heavy branches yeah and not in a way of patting ourselves on the back or encouraging anyone to pat themselves on the back, but if if we are if we as the branches are connected to the vine that is Jesus, we're going to bear fruit and we're going to make a difference in the kingdom. Yeah, not because of we're we're so good, but because of we're connected to the vine and He's working through us, and and that I think that's something that ought to be really important in our prayer life is is praying about the kingdom and how we can, what we can do to make a difference in it. And so in our prayer, one, one of the ways that we bear fruit is making disciples. And so that should be a priority of our prayer life, and we see that here. 
the next priority that we see is showing that we trust God's provision in our lives. Showing that we, prayer, in, in my opinion, prayer is the number one avenue that God has given us to show that we trust him. Um, I mean, I think there's other ways to do that, but I mean, you pray through prayer. We can directly tell him what is going on in our lives, and we can directly show and tell him, "Okay, we trust you with what's with everything." And I don't know about you, but that can be hard for me. You know, I I kind of like to be independent. I've just always been that way. I like to handle problems on my own and. Just be a man and not rely on anybody else, yeah, and yeah. that doesn't always um, work too well <laughs> with being a Christian because a fundamental part of it is tr- trying to realize that we have to rely on God and that we need to rely on God, and and that can be difficult. And f- I think that can feel unnatural for a lot of people. I know that feels unnatural for me, so it's definitely something we need to to put some attention to and work on. Yeah, but this give us each day our daily bread is not just about you know, praying for food. I think that's a lot of times what people immediately think of. It's, it is, it is more about trusting God with our needs and showing him, okay, I'm, I am submitted to you in all ways. And I trust that you will take care of me as I serve you. And as we're seeking the kingdom first in our prayer life and in our life outside of prayer as well, we're going to be able to trust that God's going to meet our physical needs if we're seeking him first. And again, that's kind of what we'll see next, next week. So I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but there's some connections between this, this section here of the Lord's prayer and what we'll get into some next week that I don't think I've realized until thinking about it now, but. And then the next session section and forgiving us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Um, so the first thing is acknowledging our sin is a part of prayer. It's part of trusting God. It's a part of submitting to him. It's so acknowledging our our sin and then asking to be forgiven. You know, in first John, it says when, when we ask for it, he, God will be faithful in forgiving us our sins. Um, and so that that is an important part of it. We also get the idea here that we can't expect God to forgive us if we're not willing to forgive others. Yeah, uh, Jesus Jesus says, "For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us." <laughs> he he does no wrong, so he doesn't need <laughs> forgiveness. Um, so that this is definitely a lesson for us to learn about the fact that we need to be forgiving others and there should be, there is an expectation that we forgive others. Absolutely. Um, So for us, we should take from this that in our prayers, not only should we be asking for forgiveness, but we should be asking for guidance in things of love and forgiveness towards others. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think God Jesus is saying that we should be telling God that God I forgave this person today so <laughs> you should forgive me. I don't think that's the intention at all. Um I think it is 
asking for help and and leading us in forgiveness uh, because that is what he expects of us right and in in a lot of ways that love and forgiveness towards other is the the avenue of bearing fruit uh through kindness mm. that we spoke of and then the the last priority we see here in Luke lead us not into temptation this is really where i would say the christ likeness aspect of bearing fruit in uh in prayer comes in because it's praying for guidance out of temptation away from sin into righteousness i think it's also just important that we recognize temptation is a daily struggle and there is a tempter who is out to do everything he can to to make us stumble and i think acknowledging that in prayer is important to focus our minds and and focus ourselves on actively resisting that temptation and, and asking for God's help in that. And I can't remember if I've said this before, but <coughs> praying for temptation, just like any other prayer, but I, I think a lot of times, I feel like I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. A lot of times we pray one time for for a temptation that we're having and expect it to just go away. But what really prayer is for is for us to constantly be in prayer until the temptation goes away. It's not like a uh, let's pray once and then not focus on God anymore and the temptation will go away. No, he... The way that we get past temptation is by constantly focusing our minds on God and the things that he wants us to do. So don't just do a short little, God, deliver me from this temptation of lying. No, pray about the temptation. Pray about the things that God is doing in your life. Pray about the things, God, that you are striving to do for his kingdom. Pray about who God is constantly without ceasing, as Paul says, and that is how we are led out of temptation. Yeah, it's not a, a, one t- a one-time, one-sentence prayer fix, unfortunately. Yeah. So we've covered the, the Lord's Prayer. And then we get into a small section just after that, and the main focus I see in this is God is a God who gives. The God of the Bible, unlike many false gods, um, he, he delights in giving good gifts to his children. And so when we approach God in confidence by faith, we know that he is going to be faithful. We can have confidence um, because he is our loving father. God is far greater than a man who only gets up because he has to, as this little parable, you would say, explains. God is far greater than the man that does something because he has to. He's going to give what is good, and I think an important emphasis for us, for us is he's going to give what is good, not always what we want. Mm. Um, so... That's an important thing to draw from that section. 
then there's a short section in here about the blasphemy of the Pharisees, um, the the false witness of the Pharisees, if you will. Um, it says in verse 15, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Um, and then it says others tried to test him and were demanding him a to perform more signs from heaven. One of the worst things that we can do as a human being is be a false witness of God. Because in in the most common way that we get to the point where we become a false witness of God is we choose not to believe the truth of the testimonies about Jesus. And in that unbelief, we end up becoming false witnesses of who he is or what he's done. Um, and the way the Bible, the scriptures describe this is blasphemy. Um, and at a certain point, the unbelief can can become blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that more next week because that's another one of those things that gets brought up in the next chapter. But what we find is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the sin of unbelief are very closely related. And so we need to remember, more important than anything else, for our own lives and for the lives of people around us, is that death seals our fate. So the call to believe and be faithful is urgent. Mm. It's not something that we can wait on or that we should let anybody else think that they can wait on. Um, And that, unfortunately, is the habit of many. Then in verses 24 through 26, it says, When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds... It finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. Um, I always point this scripture out when I'm in this chapter because this, I think, is a picture of the difference between just saying you're sorry (laughs) in a lot of ways and actually repenting. Because when you actually repent, you are going away from sin and stepping into doing what's right. And I think this is a lesson about the fact that if we aren't, if we don't replace the evil that we say that we're sorry for, that we say we're going to repent from, with good, with righteous priorities then other evil or the same evil is going to take its place again. And we've talked on the podcast before about how repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Yeah. And if we say our we say that we've changed our mind about, okay, I want to stop doing what's evil and, and start doing what's right according to God, but our actions haven't changed. I would venture to say we haven't really, we haven't truly changed our mind. So that that's worth thinking about a little bit. If 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 true biblical repentance is a change in mind that leads to a change in action, 
if we say that we're sorry and we say that we want to repent and we say we want to to start living the way God wants us to live and grow closer to Jesus, if we say all that but our actions aren't changing, have we really changed our mind? Now we come to a verse that I we both feel is extremely important, verse 28. So I'll I'll read it. I'll read verse 27 and 28 just to put it in more of a context, but it says while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, "Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you were nursed." But he said, Jesus said, "On the contra- on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God." And observe it. So let me ask you, Jacob, who is blessed based on verse 28? Is it those that just hear the word and believe it, or those that hear it and obey it? Well, it seems to me, you know, it's talking about hearing the word and observing it. And so if we're going to hear it and we're going to observe it, we've got to obey it. I mean, there's, there's not really any way around it. James teaches us that. You know, don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. Um, Hebrews tells us that Jesus has become the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. And I think obedient. I, I heard, I heard a, a preacher, I can't remember his name, he said that something along the lines of all that the gospel requires is faith and repentance. And then he kind of paused. And he said, I know some of you are getting um, uncomfortable right now because I left out obedience. And he sa- and then he goes on and he says, well, the gospel doesn't require obedience. It produces obedience. What are your thoughts on that? I think James would disagree. And therefore, I would disagree. Jesus might too. Jesus would too, <laughs> based off of this passage. Paul teaches, Jesus teaches, that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. There's no question about that. But genuine faith in Jesus, there is obedience involved in that. If you if we are not obedient to the gospel, you are not saved. And that is the reality of the scriptures. Is what we do what saves us? No. It is Jesus' perfection and his sacrifice on the cross, his shed blood that washes us clean. But as the passage that you brought up in Hebrews brings out it is through obedience that we come to accept the gospel message and I mean I don't really care uh, what other people would say to this but the reality is is the choice to believe is an obedient act yeah in itself believing repenting those are not separate from being obedient to the gospel that is an that is a choice of 
and and an action of um, of obedience. Um, so let me just read from as we talk about this matter of obedience and is it essential to the gospel. Second Thessalonians chapter one. I'll start in verse uh, six. <clears throat> For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire. So we're talking about the second coming here. Jesus is, is coming back. And it says, will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So there's this picture of the second coming here, and we're told there's two groups of people, that are going to have to pay the penalty of eternal destruction being away from the presence of the Lord. And it's those who don't know God. That's why the church ought to have a big emphasis on missions because people who don't know about God are not just okay. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel. Because there are are people that that can believe the gospel with all their heart, but if they're not going to be willing to obey it, that's that's not enough. James tells us Satan and the demons believe. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. They know what he's done. It's not good enough for them. They were they they're not willing to obey. And so as we we to to go back to Luke where we're studying this week, and Jesus said, "On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it or, or obey it." Obedience is essential to us being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus even says himself, those who love me, not will believe in me, but will obey my commands. If we love Jesus, we're going to be obedient to him. And we can't have Jesus as our Savior unless we're going to also have him as our Lord and our Master. You can't, you can't separate those things and just pick what Jesus you want. You can't have Jesus as your Savior if you're not willing to have him as your Lord. The reality is Jesus is Lord of your life whether you choose it or not, <laughs> which is why he on Judgment Day gets to make gets to say, I knew you or I didn't know you. Right. Peter, in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he says that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. And so, so it's not... <laughs> Jesus' lordship doesn't change on if we accept it or not. He's Lord whether we want to admit it and accept it or not. He's Lord and Christ whether we want to. But the problem the problem many people find is they just want the Savior part. Um, or if people don't, some people don't accept either of them, and that's, you know, uh, just as bad. But so... We, we see this verse, and then immediately Jesus goes into talking of this sign of Jonah. And the main point that that Jesus is, is bringing out is that the Pharisees, many, many of the Jews, were just 
bent on unbelief. They were so blind. They they were they the I mean they were choosing to believe not to believe the obvious truth that was in front of them. I mean, uh, there was the testimony of of Moses or the law of Moses, the Old Testament scriptures that they prided themselves on understanding so well. There was the testimony of John the Baptist. There was the testimony of the miracles that were were performed by Jesus by by the power of God. Um, there was Jesus's testimony about himself. There was testimony from the Father through the Old Testament scriptures and through, you know, the only way to the Father is through Jesus is what Jesus says. And they, because they denied Jesus, they would deny the Father. They denied all of that. They were just bent on choosing not to believe, even though there was so much testimony and truth right in front of them. And so Jesus' point in bringing out Jonah is the Ninevites. Jonah went, to Nineveh, and he preached the good word of, of God, and they believed. So the Ninevites knew what was good, they heard it, and they listened. And, and they me- repented. They immediately were repented and were in you know sackcloth and ashes. But these people, and many people today, read, these people saw the supernatural events going on, the, the things only God could do, and we and many people today read these supernatural events that happened and yet they re, they reject Jesus and so all the more the greater is their rejection because they're seeing things far they're they're seeing signs of proof they don't need more and yet they're still rejecting Jesus um now I'd like to read verses 33 through 36. It says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a, uh, a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. And uh, there's there's several things that we could talk about here, but the thing, the conviction that was on my heart and the question I wanted to ask to, for all of us to consider is, do we believe something just because we want to or because it's true? Because the point of this, the the light here, is Jesus is the light. And our eyes aren't our eyes aren't the light. Our eyes are like a lamp, and the light is the the fire of the lamp. Jesus is the actual light. And so if we're if we are taking in the truth, if we're taking in Jesus, then we will be a light to the people around us. But if we're cutting Jesus off, then we are darkness to the people around us. And so are we just are we believing things just because we want to, or are we believing what is actually true? Um, 
what is true is always dictated by God. And that's something that we need to all consider. And then we get into a very interesting little section. Um, A lot of people call it the woes of the Pharisees. And Jesus starts saying over and over again, woe to you Pharisees. And in this, in this specific section, there are six woes. And I, I just want to quickly address those. The first woe is Jesus is pointing out that the Pharisees neglect the heart of giving. They give. He says, you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and justice and the love of God. So, yes, they're giving, but the issue is not, the problem is not that whether or not they're giving. The problem is that they're missing the heart of it. They're missing the point, which is the justice and love of God. It is just because of all that God has given them that they give. That's the reason for their giving. It is just that they give back to God because they should love God. And God, because God loves them. And they're just completely missing that, the heart of that. Um, the second woe is Jesus talks about how they expect and demand undeserved honor and attention. Um, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So they, they love to be the center of attention, basically. But the reality is, there is only one who deserves our honor. There is only one per. We, we ourselves should not think that we deserve honor. Everything, all glory should be given to God. He's the one that deserves all honor. Right. Then we have, woe to you for... You are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. He's... Jesus is calling them out for defiling other people through their deceit and their unbelief. So not only is their their heart problem an issue for themselves, but they're also leading other people astray. That's a scary thought. Yeah. Then uh, he kind of changes up how he says it, but he says, Woe to you lawyers as well. And he calls them out for being careless hypocrites and putting such a burden on others. God's God's law was not to be a burden, but a, a, a helpful guide in people's lives. But all of this extra stuff that the Pharisees were adding on top of the law of God became a burden to many. And not only was it a burden to many, but they wouldn't do the, the, do it themselves. And they were careless. They were careless about the people that they were putting the burden on. They were abusive, almost, if you want to say it that way. Then Jesus calls them out for for being murderers. He says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, but it was your fathers who killed them. And he goes on to discuss this more, but the reality is they are murderers out of hatred for the truth. And it is out of their stubbornness of heart and their refusal to believe. And 
what we will f- what we find what we know is that they end up killing Jesus and it is killing Jesus that is it is the summary in the pinnacle of all the past rebellion against God it is the summary in the pinnacle of the 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 it was your fathers who killed them they become like their fathers in killing Jesus the son of God So in unbelief, though they had knowledge which could have led them to Jesus and to salvation, in unbelief they denied it, they kept it to themselves, and therefore they hindered other people. (laughs) So Jesus calls them out for all of this. And as we see at the end of the chapter, it says, When he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So after all of this, instead of of considering what Jesus had said, they were more worried about catching Jesus than hearing and changing. Their hearts were hardened, that's for sure. So, there's a couple things I want us to draw from this. Number one, do you consider what others say, what other people say, along with the scriptures, or do you just ignore it, assuming you're right, and refuse to consider your own human failure? I'm going to ask that again. Do you consider what others say, along with the scriptures, or do you just ignore it, assuming you're right, and refuse to consider your own human human failure? The, the Pharisees refused to consider their own human failure. They, they chose not to believe. Their hearts were hard. They were in the wrong place. And Jesus calls them out for it. The choice not to believe, as the Pharisees did, leads to many other sins. And it leads to an ugly, selfish heart problem. And the root of it all was their unbelief. Yes. The second thing I want us to consider is, I want us to take this a little bit further. And the question is, are you following the American religion of Christianity or are you following Jesus Christ? Because those are radically different things. And I'll use, so let me, let me use the Pharisees to explain what I'm talking about. The Pharisees followed the religion, the, the physical do's and don'ts, if you will, but they didn't follow God in the and the expectations of the heart that he had for them. So are we following the religion, the traditions of things, or are we truly committed to following Jesus Christ? That's a question that we should all be asking ourselves. So that's, you got anything more? 
you know, as we're all striving together to bear fruit, to make a difference in the kingdom, just keep these things in mind. And especially with prayer we talked about at the beginning, if if we learn in John, we want to, if we want to bear fruit, we've got to remain connected to the vine and, and the vine is Jesus. And one of the main ways we stay connected to him is through prayer. So if you're anything like most Christians that I talk to, including myself, if prayer is somewhere you need to grow in, something that you need to be a little more devoted to, as the early church was, spend some time here in Luke 11 and and let it kind of nudge you and maybe give you a little kick in the behind a bit like it's given me to be a little more devoted to prayer and to learn some things we ought to be praying about if we want to bear fruit and be a fruitful disciple for Jesus. Absolutely. We thank you for listening. Um, React to the podcast in some way. Uh, Leave a like, comment, follow, whatever. Do you believe? Because we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we are striving to bear fruit. We hope you will go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples. Thank you.